Hello, Rise Together friends. Dave here. Happy Tuesday to you. I am making a decision. I'm going to start doing a little more frequently a Tuesday solo podcast with the uh, guest podcasts on Thursday. I'm enjoying doing this, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. Uh, we are coming off of a surreal week in the Hollis house. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. If you are familiar at all with weather, uh, we got some. As in, there was a freeze <laughs> that came through this town, and it's a wild thing the way cold weather in a place that is not accustomed to cold weather shuts the stinking place down. Uh, there was maybe four days in a row where there was some freezing rain, temperatures in the 20s, and it turned this place into a lockdown. I mean, in a lot of ways, there were some eerie uh, throwback reminiscence to COVID time in that school was canceled four days in a row. And for two of the four days, there was a travel advisory, basically, like, don't leave your house. Uh, the long grass around the house, icicles everywhere, and all of the trees in um, just about every single yard, including mine, uh, we have the cedar trees. And the ice forming on the branches had so many of the branches fallen down all over the place. It was a mess. Uh, there were a couple things that came to mind in the midst of this, uh, you know, like one of them being I <laughs> would put up in a story like, oh, my goodness, it's cold. And of course, you get the cascade of relativity to your coldness from people who are living in wildly colder temperatures than uh, the 20s that we were in. There were plenty of people all over the country, up in Canada, that were in the, the negative digits. And even like the idea that school would be canceled or that this town would shut down just doesn't make sense. And I get it because like everything's relative, but also this place shuts down because it has no familiarity, no preparedness, no salt in trucks, no, just nothing. And so like one of the things that I think came to mind for me as I was trying to maintain my, my, my morning routine and my workouts and whatever else was that the reason why things shut down is because there isn't any preparedness. There is no familiarity. There isn't any cheat sheet. There's just, there's nothing. And so part of what preparedness in life, preparedness in your routine, preparedness in your habits, preparedness in just any anyway, um, what it prepares you for is the unexpected. It prepares you for the freeze that like inevitably, of course, is going to come around because life. 
And there's something to, you know, running regularly or working out regularly or having a pretty consistent nutrition plan or whatever it might be that is less about feeling good on the day that you're doing it, but being able to get back up on the day that you don't or, or being able to persevere through something hard showing up in your life or uh, just the weather changing, as it were. That, that was the first observation. The second, and this is, I think, a, a reminder for me for any time anything unexpected or hard shows up in life, I don't know that I've ever been more present to how much I just take for granted. <laughs> we, uh, we went without power a couple different uh, stretches. We were without internet for a, a prolonged period of time. Um, during one of the nights, I think the power went off maybe around 9 p.m. And it scared Noah because Noah sleeps in a room where there's a light on in a closet. Now that light's not there. And so she calls out for me. Yep, come on, hop in bed, let her sleep in my room. And that power just didn't come back on. <laughs> the next morning we woke up and the house was under 50 degrees. And, you know, like, again, it's all relative because, hey, we're under covers, we're in shelter. There's so much to already be grateful for. And also, I don't know that you have an appreciation for heat until you're cold. I don't know that I had an appreciation for power until it was gone. I didn't have an appreciation for warm water until there wasn't any. I didn't have an appreciation for internet until it was also gone. And so, um, I don't know. It felt like a, a good reminder during a week that was interrupted to stay connected to the good that already exists, to the things that you, um, you know, maybe take, take for granted or um, that you might enjoy in some degree of privilege for just having access to some of those like things that are um, usually always there. And when they're gone, you're really, really aware of them. The technology thing was interesting because uh, in a way that, again, was kind of reminiscent of what it felt like to be in lockdown, uh, I'm still attempting to work during the day while four kids are here and are also hoping to be uh, entertained through a decathlon of activity uh, for each day. And I, like the first day, I put work completely aside. You know what? Let's just play all the board games and play the video games and sit and like bake. <laughs> we, we made more food in uh, that first 48 hours because that's what we're going to do. Why not? Let's have some fun. But by the end of the second day, <laughs> as I'm now sliding things around on the calendar, there is this, of course, natural desire to try and jump back into and be present with work. What I realize, like I'm sure a lot of parents realize, is the way that technology affords you an opportunity to focus on some of what you need to because of the way it might entertain your kids. And there was a lot of screen time. I ain't gonna lie, there was a lot of screen time because it was uh, do what you can, let's push through. Um, you know, I, I, I traditionally have someone who gets to come over here and help with kids. Um, that person wasn't here this week. There was no driving on the roads. And so as much as I am, yep, trying to stay present and entertain and have fun and turn a snow day or an ice day into a fun day, I also had to get some stuff done. And I was really, I don't know, I was grappling with how okay or not okay it is to extend what in this house is a pretty limited amount of screen time during an unconventional window 
where we just had to kind of survive. And as it would turn out, I roll into church on Sunday and they're doing a series. I was invited by uh, some friends. It wasn't the church that I traditionally attend. I am interested in trying to find a church that's a little closer to my house because uh, like small groups and whatever else. And I roll in and they're in the midst of a sermon series about technology of all things. Uh, maybe it was meant to be, but uh, I thought maybe for a second, just have a conversation about technology because it really, man, it really, really made me think. So I'm going to refer a little bit again to what happened to have happened in a sermon. Um, but hopefully if you're not uh, someone who's up for church or interested, um, I'm going to try and make it as applicable as possible. Uh, so this conversation was titled, Does Technology Make Me Happy? <laughs> Which feels so loaded. <laughs> I mean, it feels like such a big, crazy question because uh, like you, man, I like my phone. I like the way that it has every answer in the history of time sitting right on it at my fingertips. There are so many things that uh, make life easier that are afforded by technology. And also, when I really sit with it, does technology make me happy? It usually doesn't. And maybe, you know, I am the uh, anomaly. But for me, um, if I spend too much time on social media, if I spend too much time watching, you know, certain kinds of content, if I consume any kind of news, if like there's a real correlation between my peace and my sanity and my broader mental health and the amount of technology that I'm consuming. There just is. Uh, which of course then also, again, dovetails back into uh, how does that affect your children, right? Like I know for my kids, um, there's a pretty tight time on how little they can spend on screens during the week. And that time expands a bit on the weekends. They get to stay up a bit later. They get access to their screens, whether it's playing Fortnite or, you know, TikTok or whatever it might be. Um, they just get more. And there is a correlation between some of how they are with less screens and some of how they are without them when it comes to, I would say, kind of basic respect, when it comes to being a good listener, when it comes to sass. Let's say sass. But I also question in a world where I love therapy, I commit to doing it on the rag, um, but I also have therapy for my kids who I want to make sure are protected and are helped to grow and are processing all the things that come in the aftermath of divorce and everything else. And there is a surprising amount of comparison. There's a, a surprising amount of, I mean, bullying feels like a, a strong, maybe a stronger word than it actually is, but there's definitely something that I think has been born in an era where so much of what happens online normalizes weird stuff like that is just like contrary to the way that normal people display basic human respect and decency there's i think less empathy and there's more impulse to to poke and as i'm kind of walking alongside my kids working through their own stuff inside of therapy it always comes back to this bigger longer question of 
is this device, is this connectedness <laughs> actually creating connection or is it creating a complex? So the headline of, of this entire conversation in Sunday's sermon was um, that technology can be dangerous. <laughs> no kidding. Can it? Yeah, it can. Um, there was a verse that uh, the sermon started out with, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's Mark 12, 30. And the question was, can you do those things and have technology as rampant a thing that exists inside of your world at the same time? Man, felt like <laughs> he's pointing the finger at me, as did most of the congregation. Um, but for someone who's listening right now that's not religious, you're not interested necessarily in um, loving the Lord your God, uh, I think I would even pose it in this kind of a way, right? Does the best version of you thrive because of technology? Are you compromised or impaired in any way because of technology? Is there, is there something in the attempt to answer that question? How do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? That when you've spent more time on screens or more time with technology, you feel worse about yourself than you do better. You compare yourself to what other people are posting on their social media. You're consuming garbage that is infiltrating your mind. You're becoming more anxious because of the way that the news tries to make you more anxious so that it can sell advertising, um, whatever it might be. When we dove into it, he threw out some stats, and the stats are fascinating and also mildly terrifying. <laughs> He, uh, before doing some of the, uh, the stat revelation, he uh, told the story of a woman who'd let her kid play out in the garden. And here in Texas, there is a most dangerous snake. It's a coral snake. And uh, this mom looks over and there's her daughter holding a freaking coral snake. And she freaks out, as you should. If you see a coral snake in the hand of your child, you should freak out. So she runs over and she slaps it out of, his, uh, out of her hand and she rescues her daughter from this danger. And the very simple question that he posed was, if I could tell you right now that the phone that you have in your pocket is more dangerous than this venomous snake, would you slap it out of the hand of someone that you love? Would you go rescue them because of wanting to protect them from the dangers that exist in being as connected as we are or exposed to the things we are as, um, as we are with, with, with phones and technology and everything else? Um, so here are some interesting stats. 62% of Americans sleep with their phone. I am guilty of this. Uh, I mean, I don't sleep with it in bed, but it, like, it sits right on the nightstand right next to where I sleep. It's plugged in. I mean, I turn it off for the most part at night unless my kids are out while I'm falling asleep, but um, I, I, I sleep with it right next to my head. It's the last thing I have tended to look at. It's the first thing I've tended to reach for. And there's gotta be something interesting brain chemistry wise that happens because of the stimulation. I know there is, cause there's a stat coming. <laughs> 73% of Americans would feel panic if their phone was misplaced. I am among the 73%. <laughs> I would feel panicked 
I think if you were to ask most people what their most valuable possession is, if you were to ask most people, um, hey, uh, your house, it's on fire, you've got to grab you know, one thing or a couple of things, what would you grab? Most people are going to say their phone. And so there is something really interesting about the way that not having it or being separated from it creates some kind of anxiety or panic. Ugh. Uh, 19%, <laughs> this is funny, 19% of adults check social media during church. I mean, there were some people who felt very attacked <laughs> in church on that day. My goodness. So uh, those are interesting. That uh, was a section of the conversation that was all about your heart, right? In that all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, that was your heart. In your soul, this is more about your feelings, your attitudes, your emotions. 90% of us suffer from low battery anxiety. Oh my gosh, low battery anxiety. Are you, like me, a person who, when you see that little red sliver on your phone where your battery should previously or was previously green, um, does it create just a tiny bit of panic? Uh, because it does for me. Uh, and it th I think it does for a lot of people, clearly 90%. 64% of people experience FOMO from social media. FOMO, right? And this is like that idea of, I was content with some part of my life, something that was happening in my life, some thing that I, you know, the, the, the abundance, the decency, the goodness that already exists. And then I open up my phone and I see that you have put up a picture of something that now makes me feel less content for the things that I already have because I don't have what you do. Ooh, the comparison part of technology is the worst. 56% of people experience depression or loneliness from social media. 56% of people ex experience depression or loneliness from social media. Here's the thing, like I had to take a full goodbye, can't be here any longer, break from social media because I was feeling all the things that were not positive. And I know I'm not alone. Like it's a really, really bizarre thing that the iPhone or your Samsung or whatever it is, right? Like nobody is gonna create an ad that says, hey, buy this thing, use this thing, and more than half of you will be depressed or feel more lonely as a result. Like who in the world would sign up for that? And yet there's something in the addictive nature of the phone that has us in some way knowing that we shouldn't be opening the stinking thing as often as we do. We understand the way that it makes us feel like crap after we've gone and played the comparison game on social media. We know that it creates anxiety when we spend time looking through a feed full of stuff that's there to scare us. And yet we keep coming back. What does that say? I, it's, like, it's just such a bizarre thing. I don't have a good answer for it, but I do feel, I do feel like there's something weird in this whole like FOMO thing that would have us deliberately choosing to keep putting ourselves back into environments that we know hurt us. And that's what happens here. It's crazy. 
Um, after an hour of social media, people are, in every study they've ever done, they're more lonely and they're, and they're more depressed. In every study they've ever done, if you spend an hour on social media, there are a high percent of people that are more lonely and more depressed. We know this, and yet we keep coming back. <sighs> Dave, maybe you should take another break. All right, that was the part about your soul. Your mind, oh, the stat is so depressing. The average age that a child first sees porn, eight, eight freaking years old, which was down from 11 years old just a couple years ago, right? Because technology is just getting faster and faster and is proliferated in a way that has it now in the hands of even younger people at an earlier age, eight, Lord. What's crazy too, when it comes to your mind through this stat out there is that it takes 23 minutes for us to focus again after an interruption. I, I listened recently to a, a really interesting conversation on Armchair Expert where Dax and Monica had an expert around um, the, way the way that your brain processes all of the things that it does and the, the depth that they went into of how this attention deficit always distracted, we've lost focus and how long it takes to get back was fascinating. But what's even crazier about it takes 23 minutes for us to focus after an interruption is that on average, this is a UCI study, on average, we look at our phone every 12 minutes. <laughs> like, how can we be focused on literally anything? I, I'm flying today. And there's something about being on an airplane when Wi-Fi doesn't work that actually creates hyper productivity. I'm not trying to manifest it because I'd like to watch a movie on this flight tonight, but also how in the world do we stay focused when every 12 minutes we look at our phone and every time we look at our phone, it could take us 23 minutes to get back into focus of whatever it was that we were doing before. Oh, oh that's wild. So your strength. 48% of Americans do not get enough sleep. 48% of Americans do not get enough sleep. Uh, I mean, I've had, man, I've had seasons where I've gotten great sleep and I have had plenty where I didn't get enough. What's interesting in how technology weaves its way into the epidemic of sleeplessness or not enough sleep, 58% of Americans, like me, look at screens an hour before bed and that's complicit in disrupting the way that we are able to actually get deep sleep. There was a Harvard study that talked uh, about the way that LED lights change the way that your brain is able to shut off and somehow ultimately affects the way that you're able to stay asleep. And so there's something to this, this practice that I'm sure you've heard plenty of people talk about. One, not even bringing your phone into your room, like not sleeping with the phone in your room, but two, carving some length of time prior to falling asleep to be screen free so that you can, you can actually let your brain wind on down. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's interesting too, and we went on to have a longer conversation about 
where real happiness tends to come from, right? The conversation was, does technology make me happy? Um, the real answer, of course, is real relationships. And part of, I think, where technology steers us in a pretty dangerous direction is that we have been sold or have convinced ourselves that social media is there to connect us to other people. <laughs> that was the promise of Facebook. Yeah, I want to add you as, as a Facebook friend. Awesome. The trouble is it is, it's, it's not true intimacy. It's not real connection. If I mean, everyone's been on Zoom calls over the last couple of years in the aftermath of COVID. The, 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 the difference between sitting in a room, looking at someone in the face, having a connection, even like be it a hug, a, a handshake, or just your presence in their presence, it's different. It hits different. You feel different. You connect different. But real relationships are the thing that we as humans need on one of the most basic and fundamental levels. And in substituting real in-person relationships for the kind of facade or the fake, less intimate, less connected, less meaningful online relationships, we are deficient in a, like a, just a massive thing that we need. <laughs> I mean, uh, I am I am trying whether it's through church or or anything else, man. I am I, I am trying to have more in person community because I have no I I am positive that there has been a deficiency in my life with as many meaningful relationships in this t in this city, and it is like <laughs> I'll just beat this dead horse. Like it's the thing that I'm working on uh, in a really really intentional way. Right? When you're in person, you get to say, I see you, you matter, I care. And when you're online, you don't really get that same effect. It just Again, it just hits different. So anyway, I think in life, there's like always the opportunity, even if it feels uncomfortable, to do a little bit of an audit around what we consume and often, like when you think about consumption, I tend to think first of, okay, oh, what, are you talking about what I eat? Are you talking about what I drink? But what we consume in media is as important in either nourishing or pulling us away from who we'd hope to be and how we'd hope to think and how we'd hope to feel, especially with the studies suggesting that depression and anxiety runs as high as it does in people that spend as much time in social media as they do. And so my challenge for you, the listener today, is to do an audit of what you consume. How often are you spending online? What are you consuming while you're there? How much news are you consuming? If you haven't recently gone through and taken a look at who you're following, uh, do that, right? Do the people that you're following inspire you or scare you? Are they, uh, you know, helping you feel more empowered and excited with who you are and who you're becoming? Or is there maybe someone who needs to not be a part of your social media following anymore? I do this probably once, I was going to say more than once a year, but really I've, I've tried to do it between Christmas and New Year's. There's something to at least being conscientious 
of what it is that you're consuming, how often you're consuming it, the effect that it ends up having on your mental well-being or you being motivated and inspired or you um, being able to answer that question. How do I feel about myself when I'm by myself? Like, oh, I'm choosing to consume things that nourish me and, and, and help me continue to reach for this better, bigger version of who I am. Awesome. Then uh, keep on keeping on. But um, there you go. Tuesday thoughts. After a good weekend and after a good but irregular week. All right. Uh, I hope you all have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Thursday for an episode, I think, about sex. Good Lord. Have yourself a great Tuesday. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah, and it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th. And it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her, and that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com.